Welcome to Blackhawks Insider, the official podcast of the Chicago Blackhawks, presented by ChevyDriveChicago.com. Drive what Kane and Taves drive. I'm Carter Baum, and coming up on this week's episode, Adam Burrish and I chat with President of Hockey Operations and General Manager Stan Bowman, just past the halfway point of the season. Lucky to be joined by several hundred Blackhawks fans watching our live recording via Zoom coming up right now on Blackhawks Insider, presented by your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealers. It's all about the drive. Hey, Blackhawk fans, your local Chevy dealers have an opportunity for you to score big. Are you ready to win an autographed Patrick Kane Chicago Blackhawks jersey? Go to ChevyDrivesChicago.com and register right now. You can't win if you don't enter. Take your best shot. Why not? Someone's got to win number 88's jersey, so it might as well be you. You must be 18 years or older to register. Go for it. Wear what Patrick Kane wears and drive what Kane and Taves drive. Offer ends March 31st. Stan Bowman, you don't need any introduction, but we'll give you one anyways. Stan, the uh, president of Hockey Operations, general manager. Uh, first off, Stan, thanks for giving us some time tonight. Uh, how's everything going? I think you guys are in Tampa tonight getting ready for the game on, on Thursday against the Lightning. We are. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to this discussion. Uh yeah, we got in today. We were in Florida prior to that. Uh, so we've been down in the nice warm weather, but uh, we're, we're ready for a big, big game tomorrow. I think I speak for everyone in Chicago when uh, we got some snow the other day. We're very jealous of all the pictures of the beach are out the window in, in the hot weather. But uh, we'll dive right in, Stan. I mean, this team is just past the halfway point of the season, 14-11-5 uh, record maybe a rough week the last week or so with, you know, results wise, but by all means, this is a team that is exceeding expectations just past the halfway point of the season in a playoff spot in the central division right now. I mean, what are your overall, overall impressions just about halfway through here? Yeah. I think if you would have told us to start the year, this is where we'd be mid midpoint of the season, we would be uh, happy with where we're at. You're never really pleased with the results, but you have to look at the situation. You know, we had a tough start with missing some of our, you know, key players right out of the gate. Um, and I think we adjusted pretty well. And once we got uh, our feet wet, you know, the first couple of games on the road weren't, weren't too good, but we, uh, we seem to have found our, our momentum after that. And we had a lot of new players and, you know, we're, we're at the halfway point of the season now. So although they're rookies, um, you know, they've played 30 games thereabouts. So I think they're, they're more comfortable in the league than they were, you know, early on. Uh, and I think that was what we saw. We, we had a number of new players, some from other organizations uh, and some from within who, who graduated out of Rockford and, uh, it just takes a little bit of time for that group to come together, gain their confidence. Uh, I think our coaches have done, done an outstanding job of, uh, you know, making adjustments. I, I think, you know, we've had a really good result in the, in the second game um, of, of the series. We played a lot of the two-game series throughout the season. So I think it shows that, you know, we're able to make adjustments where we're needed. Um, and we've seen some young players get more comfortable as we go along. So, uh all in all, there's a lot to be excited about, and uh, we put ourselves in a good position here moving into the second half, and a lot of work ahead, but uh, but I like where we're at. What surprised you most, and I, I know what you just said about how you're never fully satisfied and you're happy where you are, but I know 
how you operate and you want to win every night and you want to win games and you want to make the playoffs. But what surprised you most? You've got a lot of young guys. The goals you guys have been scoring, you've been putting up good numbers offensively. Defensively, you guys have been much, much better than last season. The goaltending has been great. Uh, some younger players that probably have exceeded a lot of people's expectations. Is there one thing that stands out to you about this team this year? Uh, well, the the two things, as you know, Adam, if if you have a successful power play and you have good goaltending, you're going to be in most every game. And I think that's been pretty consistent for us. Uh, obviously, there's a few games here and there when the goaltending's off or the power play doesn't click. Um, you know, recently it hasn't been quite as good, but for the year, uh, I think we've really had consistent performance by our goaltenders. Um, you know, Kevin's played the majority of the games, but I think Malcolm's had some really big outings for us as well. And uh, you need to have a couple guys going uh, when you're playing as many games as quickly. So I think that's been a, a strong suit for our team and our power play has given us a boost. Um, so, you know, we, we still have to improve. Like you said, you're always looking back at the last game or two when it hasn't been as good, but Overall, uh, I think it's been a strong suit. So those two things keep your team in the game and it gives you a chance to get it to overtime. And, um, you know, that's what we've done a lot of times this year. So I would say that's probably the, the two things that stick out. You touched on some of the young names there, but I know going into the season, a lot of the focus was on developing these young guys that we've heard about for for years and preparing them for the future. How impressed have you been with this young crop, the the Kevin Lankin, Kevin Lankin and Pew Suter, Philip Kurashev, Ian Mitchell, Brandon Hagel. I mean, all these guys seemingly are really taking important strides with this team and are a big reason that the team's had the success they've had in the first half. Yeah, it's it's, it's funny reflecting back on it. We, we started our year here in Tampa, and I remember um, before that first game, like uh, some of these guys weren't even in the lineup. Uh, like Kurashev and Hagel didn't even play until – game two or three, uh, same thing with Lankinen. So I think those guys have really showed that they can uh, not only be NHL players, but uh, I, I think, if anything, their role has increased. I mean, I think Hagel has, has really found a nice niche on our team. Um, he's got such good energy. He, he brings it every night. He's a really consistent performer for us. And, <clears throat> you know, Kurashev scored some beautiful goals. And, and same thing with Suter. Like, we, know, we knew Suter could score. Um, he's a little bit older, uh, you know, Kurashev coming in, it was, it, he's been a nice surprise that with his offensive production and his ability to play, you know, he hasn't really played much wing ever until this year. And, you know, not that it's a huge adjustment, but, you know, playing on the wing is different than playing at center. Uh, so it's nice to see those two have both Suter and Kurashev have that flexibility to move back and forth. Uh, and then, you know, Ian Mitchell, uh, I think, you know, he's only missed two games here. So he's played nearly every game and it's a much more compacted schedule than what he's used to. You know, he's played more games in the first two months here than he would play an entire college season, really. Um, so uh, I think uh, he's adjusted well. You know, a lot was coming at him early. And I think w once he once he kind of assessed what the league was like, I, you know, I talked to him a couple of times and you realize these players you're playing against are really good. Like there's, there's no bad players in the NHL. So you have to be uh, aware and, and uh, cognizant of that at all times. And I think he's, he's shown a lot of growth in that area. So uh, each of those players I think is a better player today than they were back in January when we started. 
I remember when I was playing stand, it was always like that 45 to 60 ish game range. Kind of when the season felt long, you're tired, you're beat up. Coaches never gave us that excuse of, Hey, we're tired. We're playing too much. We're practicing too much. Now I look at the schedule and it's, these guys are playing every single night. It feels like, do you sense guys are getting tired? Is this that point of the year when uh, they're getting worn out, their bodies are tired? I know that's not, you know, nobody likes to use that excuse, but what, how, how do guys seem to be holding up through playing this many games right now? I do sense that now. I think uh, it's a couple things. So it, it's, phys- it's physical uh, exertion is uh, difficult. Um, I will say the travel has been much better this year, which has been helpful. Uh, you know, we've had these road trips where, you play two games in a city, so you're you're not hustling to the next town right after the game. So I think that's been better. I think the, but really it's almost the mental, the mental stress too. It, it's a lot to play that many games. You really never get, you never get like five or six days between games. You know, it's really one day off, maybe two days off, and then it's right back at it. So I think that's probably the biggest challenge for for college players in particular, and the European schedule is not as, as rigorous. So the American League, you know, they play a lot of games. So I think for those players that were in Rockford last year, uh, maybe they've been able to adjust. But I think the the frequency of the games uh, and the fact that you never get a chance to decompress after um, it's just a game after game after game, and you're, you're trying to catch your breath almost. Um, and I think that's hard of it. So it's, it's that combination of mental and physical stress that I think I've, I've seen it hit our team over the last stretch. You know, we've played some really good teams as well. Um, some of the best teams in the league the last little bit, and we've got more coming up. You know, we've got a number of games, you know, in the next little bit. So we're going to be tested. Um, but, you know, sometimes that's what it takes. You have to measure yourself against the best. You touched on just the nature of the schedule and, and how, grueling it can be at times but it, it almost and burr and i have talked about it week after week it almost makes what mm-hmm. patrick kane is doing this season even more impressive he's playing some of his best hockey i feel like we say that every single year but statistically he's putting up more points per game this season than at any point in his career he's had a couple of huge milestones a thousand games uh 400 goals how impressive has it been to see him not only take his game to the next level but I feel like he's become more vocal in the locker room. He's he's kind of the leader of this group in terms of buying into the system. And you hear him say it all the time. He loves having fun with these young guys. He loves skating with them. And when you see someone score their first goal, most oftentimes it's Patrick Kane celebrating just as equally as, as hard as the player who scored. Yeah, he's been outstanding. I think that the other thing that people don't talk about as much is the fact that uh, we're missing some really good players here. So he's gotten even more attention than he normally would get. Like, basically, if you look at our team, it's we, we they put all their energy into shutting down Patrick Kane and, and Debrinkit. Those two together have been outstanding this year. But even with that as the backdrop, he's found a way to be incredibly productive. So I, I think it goes to show just how good he is. Like, we're, we're so lucky to be here watching him in, in his best years. Like, it's happening right in front of our eyes. It's not like that happened four or five years ago. And he seems to be one of the rare players that just keeps getting better as he, as he gets older. I think it's a matter of his training that he puts in. Um, And, you know, he he really takes care of himself, but he always wants to push to, to do something different or to add another element to his game. He's not content with where he's at. And I think that's what, that's what separates him. There's a lot of great players in the NHL. 
Um, but I think Patrick's been able to continually reinvent himself to a degree. Uh, and he gets a ton of attention every night. Uh, every time we line up, the other team knows that he's the one guy that they have to key on. You know, in the past, we, we had other players and, you know, hopefully soon we can get Kirby and Strom back. But, you know, right now he, he's carrying the load for us and he's taking all the attention. We've heard you talk about it, Stan, in some interviews. We've heard Kane talk about it. And a lot of the players talk about this new culture that's been around the team and they seem to be having fun, but, you know, buying into the two-way game and the compete level, um, it's, it's really fun to watch. I think fans are enjoying it too. What do you, where does that new culture shift kind of coming from? Obviously, I'm sure Jeremy Colleton deserves a lot of credit the way he's got these systems in place, but the guys seem to be really buying into it. It's not lip service. It's not, it's not fake when they sit, they all keep saying it and they seem to be having a lot of fun uh, playing under this new uh, kind of culture. You're right. I think the biggest thing I've noticed is that <clears throat> I think there's a belief that this is the, this is the ticket for our team to have success. Like the, what Jeremy's been preaching and what Patrick's talked about, um, it, it's a repeatable thing. Like if you do have that relentlessness to your game and you're constantly outworking the other team, that's something that you can uh, bring every night. But, you know, if you're relying just on being a high skill team, that that's hard to execute. Like there's a lot of precision required in order to always make these highlight plays. So if that's your approach to a game, you're going to be able to pull it off sometimes harder for us this year. We don't have, you know, as many of those players as we used to. So I think if you look around and I think our players understand that, Hey, we can beat anybody. Um, we, we just have to commit to it. And I think even the games recently when we haven't won, we've had stretches where we've dominated some of the best teams and we, we haven't been able to, to put it together and nail it for the, the full game. And then, you know, when you play the best teams, they, they need that little bit of daylight. You know, we were that team five or six years ago when, you know, we could be off our game and the other team, and then we could just get it together enough and find a way to win. We're not built that way now. So I think what Jeremy's preaching and our guys understand it, that we just haven't quite been able to do it consistently enough. But I, I think there's a, there's a confidence in that approach of, of your relentlessness and your, your work ethic. If you, if you bring that, you can beat anybody. Uh, and I think that's what's been fun to watch. I think one of the greatest parts about what we're doing tonight and being able to, to have this conversation live in front of a lot of our great fans, uh, both season ticket holders and just fans across the globe is, uh, you know, Stan, Burr and I can sit here and pepper you with questions for 30 minutes, an hour, and that'd be great. But uh, they all have a lot of questions. We opened it up to them to kind of submit some questions for you. So we're going to put you even more on the hot seat because I got to be honest, some of these questions are uh, better questions than Burr and I would have had on our own. So we're just going to open it up to the fans here and uh, I'll get it started right away. We had one come in from, I'd say that probably the most asked question we had come in today was uh, just a couple people who asked, uh, I'll, I'll name off the top, Doug, Bill, Elka. Everyone wants to know how is Jonathan Taves doing? Not so much from the player and, and when he's going to be back on the ice, but just the person himself. You know, it was great to see him as part of the celebration for Kane's 1000th game and sending in that video, wishing, you know, obviously his, his close friend uh, well on and, and uh, congratulations on playing a thousand games. But do you have any, any updates on just how Jonathan Taves is doing as a person? I know a lot of people are worried about him uh, very, very much. 
Yeah, it was great to see that uh, the the wish he gave to Patrick for the for the milestone. Um, I have corresponded with uh, Jonathan on a couple occasions. Uh, I've tried to check in with him to make sure he knows that we're thinking of him, but also not uh, bother him too much. Um, and he's been, uh, you know, he's, he's great about getting back to me and staying in touch. And, you know, I think he's following our team closely. So I don't have much of an update on exactly, you know, obviously he's not back with us, so he's not really ready to play hockey, but uh, he seems in good spirits. And uh, I know he's uh, he's liking watching the, the team and the, the way that we've come out of the, to start the season. So, um, you know, for the most part, it's been all positives from that. And uh, I wish I, 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 I'm in the same category as everyone. We want him to, to be feeling great and uh, not only to help our team, but just to, you know, to, to be back to himself. And I don't think he's quite there yet, but uh, hopefully he will be soon. Armando Martinez uh, asked, and you've already answered this, what do you like about the team so far, but what areas need to be filled from your perspective? <clears throat> well, if you look back at this year, we, we had that tough start where we had a lot of guys unable to start, whether it was Nylander, Taves, Kirby Doc. Um, and then once we got into the season, we've actually, for the most part, we've had um, a relatively healthy season. I know Murph missed some time. Strom has missed some time. Um, but I think that the key thing for us going forward is to continue to stay healthy. Um, you know, like I said, I think Strom is going to be back soon and Kirby will be back, you know, relatively soon. So if we can, we really haven't had our full team yet, you know, to see, you know, we've had a pretty good first half of the year without our full lineup. Um, so I think as we go forward, I'd like to try to, to, to maintain the level of health that we do have um, to see what we have as a team. And uh, that's probably the biggest thing that I'm looking for as far as, uh, you know, what areas are, can we, there's a lot of, I mean, across the board, we can be better. Like I said, our, you know, our, our penalty killing hasn't been as strong lately. We had a stretch where we were very good. Um, we, we've dropped off in that area. Our power plays, you know, gotten a little bit cold here lately. Um, so I think there, there's areas there that we want improvement. Uh, but I, I don't know that there's one glaring um, issue with our team. Uh, I think it's trying to find a way to to keep those stretches of the game when we're really good and extend them to be able to put together the full effort. Um, that's that's probably the thing that we just haven't been able to do consistently enough against the top teams. Um, and it's hard. You know, these, are, these are good teams. They've got really good players. They've got a lot of depth. Um, and... Uh, that's that's an area for growth for our team in the second half. You just touched on the second half, and that leads us right into the next point. Jennifer Ree wants to know, what's the biggest obstacle going into the second half of the season? It's going to be a, a fight right down to the finish in terms of playoff positioning, but what do you see as the biggest thing this team has to, to really put together down the stretch here? Well, Adam can kind of probably, you know, agree with this the, the league gets harder as the year goes on like the games in the you know in a normal season when you get into february and march like everyone's level goes up because you know the players some some guys aren't that sharp to start with and you have new players and you have young players but by the time you get to the second half of the season the level of play is raised across the board so you have to be able to do that and i think you know there's reason for optimism for our group, because we've got a lot of young players who I think have already shown some progress and they should be continuing to get better. 
So uh, I think we have the potential to keep growing as a team. Certainly getting Kirby back is going to be a big boost too. He's a, he's an important player for us in the bubble uh, last summer. And, you know, he's going to play a large role and he's going to be used in power play, penalty kill, five on five. Uh, so, you know, the, the obstacle is going to be to, to be able to continue to raise our level as the competition around the league continues to get better. Um, you know, and like I said a little bit ago, trying to, to stay healthy. Um, when you have this many games, uh, you know, you, you play essentially every other day for the rest of the year. Um, you know, you got to do your best to, to stay healthy. And, uh, you know, we're not healthy yet. We're still missing some players. But once we get them back, we'd like to try to see what we have with that full group. So um, th- those are probably the, the things that come to mind. This next question comes from Casey Holt. Are you planning on buying or selling at the trade deadline? The big question. <laughs> trade deadline, just a couple of weeks out. There's always a lot of question around the deadline. Um, <clears throat> I think where we're, we're at this year, we've got a couple of unique situations. We, we have a lot of salary cap space because we've got several players on the long-term injury. So we have the ability to um, you know, take on some, some contracts this year if that situation presents itself. Um, and I would say we're trying to add players that we think can be part of our future. So uh, I don't think we're going to be looking just for rental players that are here just for a couple months and having to give up uh, some top young assets to do it. You know, there, there's a time and a place for that. Uh, but I think we're still building, you know, we're still uh, our best years are ahead of us going forward. So I, I think we want to make sure that we don't um, trade out young assets unless you're getting a, a young asset back, uh, someone that you think is going to be a part of your, you know, your future. So I don't know if you would call us a seller or a buyer. Um, you know, we're, we're willing to, we're willing to do a little bit of both, but we're, we're not going to sell off players that we think have a future for us. Um, so, uh, there's been some talk recently. I would say it's starting to pick up. Uh, I know that uh, the Canadian teams have the quarantine issue. I think some of them are probably in a little bit more of a hurry to to try to make some moves as opposed to the the American teams. Um, and you know the way it is with most things, they, they usually come down to the deadline. You can talk all you want over the next couple of weeks, but uh, deals tend to happen closer to a deadline. So um, not to say that we were waiting for a deadline. We're I'm actively having conversations, but uh, nothing is really near the finish line yet. Real quick before I go on to the next fan question, I mean, how unique is this year's trade deadline? You mentioned the the quarantine aspect of it, but that, you know, having different teams and different protocols, different travel restrictions, you can't put a player on a commercial flight. I mean, how unique does that make this trade deadline for the league as a whole? Yeah, it's going to be much different. Um and I think the whole year has been different. So I think you kind of have to just roll with it a little bit and uh, be flexible. Um, and that's the way we've approached it. Uh, you know, we, we recognize that it's, it's an important part of the year. So you, you have to engage in those conversations. Um, but, you know, if things don't come together and we don't make any moves, then, you know, I think that the future for this team, we're seeing a lot of it in front of us here. Uh, starting to grow and certainly not everybody's here but you know we have some players that are developing on their way up um, you know some of our recent draft picks have had really good seasons and I think they're gonna 
play a role in the coming years. But I think you're seeing a lot of the players who are going to take bigger roles are, are here um, and they're just starting their careers. You're going to take this one a completely different direction now with another fan question. This one comes from Harper Sarna. I hope I'm saying that correctly, but uh, seven years old, Harper is. She says uh, she met you a year ago at Christmas at Notre Dame. I'm not sure if you recall that interaction, but that's where she wants to play hockey when she grows up. She wants to go to Notre Dame. She wants to play hockey there. Obviously, a lot of Notre Dame uh, products are in the prospect pool. I know Burr maybe doesn't love to hear that as much, the Wisconsin <laughs> man himself, but uh, she wants to know, what do you love most about Notre Dame? What do you like about the school, the program? Uh, what what uh, what could she look forward to one day, hopefully playing herself at Notre Dame? Yeah, great question. Uh, thanks for asking. Um, I, I had a great time at Notre Dame. I, I mean, most people look back on their years in college and that that's it's an important time in your life. You, know, you kind of transition from being a kid to being an adult. You know, you're you're off on your own and um, you, you have a lot, certainly a lot more responsibility and you have a lot more freedom. So you have to grow up as a person and uh, just the atmosphere. I, I loved everything about Notre Dame. I, you know, it's a small school. People don't realize that. You know, it's about eight thousand. It's it's not as as big as it, it appears. So it's a pretty small community, and you make a lot of lifelong friends. And I still have uh, you know people I met my first day on campus there that I keep in touch with to this day. Uh, so a lot of great memories from my time there as a student. Um, wasn't a great athlete. You know, I, I played club hockey, didn't play varsity hockey, but, uh, I had fun with it. Uh, you know, the hockey team is, is, uh, much, much better now than it was when I was a student that we had a great football team when I was there. Um, but, you know, obviously football is huge, but I think their, their hockey program has really taken a step up in the last probably 10 years. Um, you know, they've been a consistent performer. Uh, so, uh, we, we drafted a player out of Notre Dame this this last year, Landon Slaggart. Uh, he, he had a great year. Um, you know, he was one of the top scoring freshmen in the Big Ten. So really happy with his uh, start to his collegiate career. Um, and there's a lot of NHL players that have come out of Notre Dame and certainly Wisconsin too. Adam, I'm not going to okay. disparage them. There's a lot of great uh, Badgers in the NHL. But I think it, it, show, it goes to show you that, uh, you know, those teams, they have a, a good – uh, pipeline to the NHL, strong coaches, strong t tradition of playing winning hockey. Uh, so uh, it's it's been fun to be be down there, and I get a chance to go to a few games a year. I've I've seen Notre Dame hockey play a few times this year, um, doing some scouting. So it's been um, it's been a, a great part of my life, and uh, it's fortunate we're so close, and I get to go back there often. I love this question because we talked with him, Carter, and I last week, but uh, Ellie. Sandalo wants to know what is your favorite Brent Seabrook memory? You know, the, the things that stand out for me are probably not, uh, I mean, he has some great moments on the ice. I mean, he scored some huge overtime goals. I think those are the ones that stand out. Certainly one against the Red Wings and, and the Bruins game four in the Nashville series, a big overtime goal. Um, but I think for me, it's all those interactions you had away from, away from the rink, even in the meal room. He, he was, as you know, Adam, he's such a big part of the team. Like he really was a guy who, um, if you talk to anybody who's played for the Blackhawks in the last 10 to 15 years, they're going to remember Brent Seabrook. And I remember my first interaction with him. It was during the, uh, 
during the draft interview process and came in and sat down. I was kind of new to that. I hadn't done much uh, scouting at the time and I had never scouted Brent Seabrook as a player, but I was sitting in on the, on the interviews. And when he left the room, he just, we looked at each other and like he had been a captain at the, at the U 18s for Canada. And he just had a different uh, personality. It was a confidence, but also not a cocky confidence. And it was something, you know, you see a lot of these kids come in, you know, one after another, and a lot of them blend together, but Brent stood out from that first, first time and w- what kind of a person he was and, uh, you know, countless memories of his play. But I think what stands out to me was just what, what he meant as sort of that, uh, the glue to our team, um, through the years when we had new players coming in a lot of times, like we had great teams, but we had to shuttle players in and out for the cap and, and new players would come in and Brent was always great about being a teammate. 100% agree. It's everything we've heard about Brent Seabrook, not only through the last years, but over the past couple of weeks as well, ever since uh, his announcement. Our, our next one goes in a, another complete different direction. We're going to keep throwing some, uh, some Hail Marys at you here, but uh, Mark Volpini wrote in, he doesn't necessarily have a question, uh, but he's the proud uncle of assistant general manager, Kyle Davidson. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to just say, you know, thank you for taking care of you know his nephew, but also how proud he is. So I guess I wanted to ask you, Kyle's one of, you know, three people in a, in a new role this season as assistant general managers. It's Kyle, Mark Eaton, Ryan Stewart. H- how have you seen their impact through this first season? What, what kind of growth have you seen in the hockey operations department? Of course, your own uh, promotion recently as well to president of hockey operations. How are things working behind the scenes and and how crucial are those three people who people don't see a whole lot of um, on a day-to-day basis, but are in your ear every single day, I imagine, about different things? Yeah, I actually talked to all three of those guys today. So, you know, they've been with us for a while, um, but the difference is they have a, a a larger voice now than they did before. And I think part of that is trying to give them more opportunities to, to take on uh, bigger roles. And with that comes probably a lot more interactions, conversations, a uh, bit of a funny year. You know, obviously I haven't seen any of them in, in person in a year because you can't interact with anybody. Uh, but, you know, I talk to them all the time. And I think the biggest thing for them is to just, uh, you know, learn some new things. So there's some things that they're each of them is doing, which they hadn't done previously, but also uh, give them the ability to weigh in more and, um, you know, pick their brains probably more than we have in the past. And I rely on each of them for different things. I think they've got unique skill set. Um, and uh, it's been fun to work with them and also see them start to look at things a little bit differently. You know, they were all very good in their areas. Uh, they had their expertise, and now we're trying to widen their uh, exposure to things and, and get them to see more than just their little area. Uh, and it's been it's been interesting, and it's something that I think will help us down the road. I've got one more here from Andrew Bradshaw, another more technical one. How does the lack of a full junior season impact the landscape of this year's draft? That's a tough one because you're right. There, you know, some of these, like Ontario and, and the Canadian leagues, they haven't played a game yet. <laughs> they're they're going to start their seasons, I think, in in April sometime. Maybe get 20 games in. So uh, 
this is going to be one of the more unusual drafts for that reason. You're going to have a small sample size for a large group of players. You're going to have other players who have played almost a full season. Um, the USHL has been operating since November. So they, they, they're going. Uh, European leagues have kind of stopped and started. So it's a, it's a wide spectrum of uh, exposure. And I think what that's going to lead to is um, a lot more uncertainty. When we look back at this draft, I think there's going to be some players who um, you'll probably get taken much later than they should have because they just didn't you didn't have much of a sample size. And you're, you have to go with what you saw. Um, you can certainly look at their underage year. But even last year was an abbreviated year. The, the season ended in, in March. And normally you have all the playoffs and all the tournaments that happen at the end of a season. So we didn't have that for them last year as underage players. And then this is their draft year and we're going to have a small sample. So, um, you know, we, we've watched a ton of video for the players. You know, we've probably seen more of these players than we've ever seen before because we had nothing but time to watch all of their games. Um, there just hasn't been a lot of games for a lot of them haven't played any games. So um, I think it, it's it's going to lead to a lot of uncertainty, uh, but we, we, we still feel you know, very comfortable with where our knowledge base is for the players who've played. We put in a lot of work. We're, we're going to be ready to go in, in July for the draft. Um, but I think when you look back 10 years from now, you're going to realize this is a probably a, a much more sort of wide open draft than ever before. And the last one for me, our last fan question of the evening comes from Phil Hornthal. He wants to know, how much of an influence did your father have on your desire to work in an NHL front office? And, and what kind of lessons did, did he teach you about uh, that helped prepare you for the role you're in? You're, you're in your 19th season with the Blackhawks. And I think it all, all started, obviously, with a, a Hall of Fame coach in, in Scotty Bowman. Well, I would say he had a huge influence on me. But it was probably not in the way you think. Like My dad was never... Um, he never sat me down and said, okay, here's what you're going to do. And you're going to learn this. It was never, it was not like that at all. Uh, it, really what he does, he allowed me my own curiosity to just kind of tag along when, you know, this was, this was back in the eighties when there really was no internet. There was not even really many games on television. So what I remember as a kid is he would, he would always be on the phone. He would be calling people talking hockey all the time talk about their team, talk about other teams. And it was like the favorite thing for me was to just sit as a kid and just listen to him talk for hours at a time, day after day. And, and then even when I got older, I remember I used to, I would always watch his, his media, his press conferences. And I would, I would listen to the questions they ask and I would try to answer them in my head. Like if I was the coach. Um, and so I think I, I was just doing that because I, I just loved hockey. I loved being around it. And, um, I was curious like he is. And, uh, so, he, you know, he never really, never, never even had a conversation about being in hockey or never pushed me to it. He really let me do whatever I wanted. And, um, yeah, I didn't start in hockey, but I, I found my way back because it was something that I was passionate about. And I think it just, it came from being around it as a little kid. And I had, the best teacher in the world. Um, but he wasn't teaching me anything. He wasn't sitting me down and saying, you need to, you need to listen to this. I just, you know, I, I did a lot of listening as a kid and, uh, you know, some of that stuff sticks with you. So you've been preparing for moments like tonight 
since you were a little kid answering those questions in your in head. A way, yes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Stan. We we appreciate your time. Thank you to all of our fans who not only tuned in tonight, but sent in questions and have been sending questions in through the chat as well. We we could only get to so many tonight, but so many incredible questions. So uh, thank you all fans for tuning in. And uh, we, we definitely miss you at the United Center. I know Stan um, will probably, I can speak for you. And when I say, you know, the team misses having the fans there, but also Stan, thank you for your time tonight and letting us pick your brain a little bit here, just about halfway through the season, just over the halfway point, I should say. Been fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. That will do it for this week's episode. For Adam Burrish, I'm Carter Baum. A special thank you once again to Stan Bowman. We'll see you next time on Blackhawks Insider, presented by ChevyDriveChicago.com. Drive what Canyon tapes drive.